And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Hebrews, uh, this series fits perfectly with Lent and leading into Good Friday and Easter because we're talking about a better life. And when Hebrews is all a comparative book about what was before Jesus, contrasting with Jesus, and Jesus is now the better than. So we're going to be using this language today, less than, better than. The point is we live with an up till now mentality, right? Looking to the past, Jesus' message to us this morning is we should live from a now on reality. Claiming his promise, claiming the work in the cross, getting rid of those less thans. Don't be satisfied with those live in the greater than. So that's the language we're going to use. Today is better than rest, okay? The rest, God's Sabbath rest, is, the, is better than what we've been doing on our own. And can you put that passage back up on the screen? I have a couple questions for you. As you look at this passage, as we've read this together, does that exude rest? Do you feel really peaceful about that? Would that be one of the passages you go to and say, you know what, you want to know about God's rest? Here you go. No. For me, no as well. Because when I look up there, I see wrath, I see fear, I see couple of warnings. It seems like this text this morning is challenging us. It's pushing us. It's testing us. So we're going to do this. We're not going to shy away from it. This morning, we're going to be talking about rest, but more specifically, God's Sabbath rest and what that exactly means. And we're going to just dive into it. First, let's do an overview. Let's look at verses 3 through 10, because this text is complicated, right? You read through it. Let me do a brief outline for us as the writer of Hebrews is talking about rest in context. And then we'll go back to the crux of this text, which is the beginning for one and two. First, we start in verse chapter four In verse chapter whoop in chapter four, verse four. That's my problem. Too many fours. Four, four. He's quoting Genesis two, two. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Here's the point of that. The writer of Hebrews is saying to us that rest is part of the design. It has always been part of the design. There's a place of joy 
and rest and peace where we as his people can fellowship with him. The writer is using this to talk about not just one day a week, but an eternal place of rest. The writer is going to expand this. We'll look at that. Ultimate rest. Then the writer goes on to look at Joshua. Joshua is the guy that took the people into the promised land. And this is what the writer says. Hebrew asks, is the promised land the ultimate place of rest? Some in Israel thought it was. But in verse 8, the writer says this. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. It wasn't ultimate rest. What are we looking at now? In verse 8, he quotes Psalm 95 to set up verse 9 to emphasize verse 9 because David comes after Joshua and here's what it says in Hebrews 9. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So the flow of this text clearly states, it demonstrates that God's rest is available to us. That he has so much more for us. Better than rest is available to you and to me right here and right now. But also wait. Because this passage also clearly states that it is possible. Even with the promised land right in front of us, very tangible. We can see it. We know it exists. We have sent spies in and they've come back with a favorable report. There's milk and honey before it. It is still possible that we do not claim that promise and do not enter into the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews goes further and say, you may have thought that you have entered the promised land, but you're doing it. You're defining it in your own human finite terms. And that is not what I'm talking about with Jesus rest. We still do not enter God's better than designed for our lives, and we never truly know rest. If we don't know rest, the implication is clear. The writer of Hebrews tells us we do not know God. I don't want to miss God's Sabbath rest. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not have an intimate relationship with God leading up to it. I don't want to come to his presence and short-circuit anything. I want all of God, and clearly that means God must have all of me. In my prayer life, I don't want every prayer that I pray to be a cry of help. I want to know God's heart. I want my prayer life to be transforming my heart to be like his. And for us here in North America, we are a culture addicted to speed and fast. And I say it like that to emphasize it. Because we almost pride ourselves on not resting at all. It's a sign of weakness. We do that because we rely on our own human strength. And it's not a constant daily submission to the God of rest, to the Sabbath rest. But I think this morning, if we were to be honest, I think we would say, you know what? It's a priority for me. I want to enter into God's rest. Of course I do. I would say that for me as well. But I think this poses a serious problem. It's clear that given life as usual, there is not space for what I say matters most. And I think this is an educated speculation, but I think it's a problem for most of us. We should pay attention to this because there's a subtle danger. 
We live in a busy world, and I'm afraid some of us have schedules that mandate, that dictate that we will never enter into a deep intimacy with God or deep community with each other or significant transformation in our characters. It's a heart matter. Hebrews is talking about a heart matter right now. The danger we face is that in North America, we can lead respectable, decent, non-scandalous, busy, boring lives, according to Scripture. That's not what God has for us. He doesn't have our own human-powered life. He says, claim this promise of rest. Claim it in your heart. We would say we want to diligently seek God's rest, but then we'd have another clause on that. We just don't have time. Are we a church that enters God's better than rest, his Sabbath rest? Are we a people of God's rest? Is this a priority for us? Or does our busyness get in the way? As a church, should we make worship shorter to save some time? Should we eliminate small groups? Or should we stop asking people to serve and use their spiritual gifts to serve the poor? Should we say short and sped up prayers so that we can get on to the next thing? Church is not about programs. I'm convinced in my heart that we can eliminate every program, every service that Wyzetta offers. And within six months, we would still be feeling overwhelmed and still have this busyness in our souls. It's part of our culture. We see rest as a weakness. What matters most to us? What matters most to me? Rest doesn't mean we're not doing anything. Rest means we trust. I trust God no matter what, because I know God's got me. In the midst of my deepest loss, in the midst of my deepest pain, I know that God has got me. I am convinced of the love of the cross, and I can say from the depths of my soul, I know God is good. I do not doubt his goodness, and I trust. If you're here this morning, and you're feeling broken, and the world has beaten you down, and yet you're at your end, let me tell you that you're in the right place. We at Wazetta do life together as community. We don't have all the answers, but we show up. We mourn with each other, we rejoice with each other, and we help each other enter the better rest. And the truth is, if you look around, you'll find that you're not alone in your brokenness. I stand before you broken. Our staff is broken. Our elders are broken. And probably the person sitting next to you is broken as well. This is a church of broken people. And I know some of you are getting nervous because I'm talking about being broken because just like resting, we see it as a weakness. Here's the truth. Only the broken will find God's rest. Only the broken will enter the promised land. And only the broken are strong enough to serve God's purposes. It's a contradiction, but brokenness is every bit of strength. We're talking about breaking our will to God's will. Yes, sometimes that comes through hardship and tragedy. There's a reason why you hear a lot of people saying that they met Jesus in the midst of their pain. 
It's because they're at the end of themselves. They open up, and Jesus always shows up in overwhelmingly love-filled responses that humbles us. That's very true. But don't leave it there. Being broken is a way of life. We need to come to the end of ourselves. I want less of me and more of God. And if you do not continually break your will to God's will, then you will never know the rest that comes from fully trusting God with everything. Here's another contradiction. People that are resting in this better than rest, people that deeply know God's presence, that know God's Sabbath rest, these are the kind of people that are not sitting sitting still. Rest does not mean that you're sitting still. Just the opposite. We move. We move out because we are secure in God's rest and we find that we can love people that we could not love before, the difficult people in our lives. We find that we are doing things beyond our human limits because we are resting in God. You look at Acts chapter 2, the chapter that was so formative for the early church, for this church. Are they sitting around? No, they are trusting God and they are moving out in literally dangerous situations. They have come to the end of themselves and they decided that the things that Jesus taught really are true for our lives and that's how we should live. They found a new way of life, a better life of rest, meaning that they're on the move. So let's go back to Hebrews because this is the crux of rest. This is the crux of the test. And the first thing we know us about Chapter 4, verse 1, it starts with a therefore. Okay, can we put that up on the screen? So what we're going to do, we go, trace this back, therefore, first in verse 19, or yeah, verse 19 of chapter 3, but we got to go all the way back because this is a letter. The writer of Hebrews is developing a thought that begins all the way back in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, and then the conclusion comes in 19, 4, 1 and 2. Chapter 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you will, harden, will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this whole section that we're dealing with this morning, this better than rest, is set up with a warning. How do we enter this rest? There are a couple of things that I see, but I see encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We get in each other's lives. We exhort each other to trust God. And the writer of Hebrews actually goes further. Don't distrust God. Makes it strong. So let's go back to 3.19 for through four two. Okay? Here's what happens. Three nineteen. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, okay, this is the conclusion. Let us fear if while a promise remains entering his rest, any one of you seem may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Therefore, let us fear. Normally, I preach from the NIV. I teach from the NIV. I love the NIV. It's what we have in our pews. NIV is awesome. But I had to switch and borrow my wife's Bible 
because as I was reading in the original text, the NIV softens fear to let us be careful. I looked it up. It comes from Phobima, and every other instance, it's used almost 60 times in the New Testament, and every other instance, this Greek word is translated fear, except in this one place. And I asked myself, why? Why? Maybe because we don't get it. I ask you, does it make sense to you this morning? Fear is the beginning of rest. Are you nervous? Let me say this. If you want to walk out of here with God's Sabbath rest this morning, you've got to be afraid. Let us fear. How's that for a contradiction? The question is, what should we fear? The therefore. Because the connection goes back to verse 19. This is what we should fear. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Fear unbelief. Fear not trusting God. And let's pause on this contradiction and meaning because I'm going to say something in a couple seconds that's not going to see, seem normal to you. Let's look at the contradictions, okay? And let's go to the book of Revelation. Let's look at Jesus Christ himself who says, I am the Lion of Judah and the Lamb. And as we're building up to Good Friday, Palm Sunday, how did he enter the city? He entered with all power and authority and then the Lion. And he was strong and powerful, just like a king from this earth should be. How did he leave that city? As a sacrificial lamb. And if we believe that there was victory on the cross, if there was some cosmic battle that Jesus Christ won on that day, then we have to take it seriously, this contradiction that somehow the lion and the lamb go together. Does that make any sense that we are winning a battle, a war, and we lay down our lives so that the victors come in and wipe us out? There's contradiction. So don't get nervous about contradictions. I'm going to say that your faith should have them because it's a guarantee that your faith looks more like the life of Jesus than the secular culture around you. Your life, your faith should be full of contradictions. Let's clarify. Fear equals trust. Being broken means you're strong. Rest means that you're moving. And let's look at Israel in this context too. Because it says Israel rebelled. What was their rebellion? Often we think of rebelling as something really active, defiant. It's an action. It's disobedience at least. The writer of Hebrews says no, Israel's rebellion was unbelief. That's something that we would clarify or say that is very passive. It's unbelief. Israel thought they'd entered Sabbath rest. And Jesus came and said, no, you guys didn't. Jesus said, you were given the promised land. Why did you keep it for yourselves? I've had so much more for you. Don't you see? You were meant to be more. It's more than just about the land. Israel missed the Messiah. They missed Good Friday and Easter. Does anyone here this morning fear unbelief? I think for us today, the temptation is that it's easy to believe. And I know a lot of you are trusting God in ways, but we need to be honest 
Is there any part of my life that I haven't given to God? Because I think I trust God with my checkbook. I trust God with my time. I know many of you are trusting God to go out and serving in dangerous ways where you feel beyond your limits, but God is showing up. But as I've reflected on this, as I have thought about this, many of you know that my wife and I lived in Outer Mongolia, and this happened over a period of time. There were things where I didn't always feel like my kids were safe. The physical environment, what happened when they walked outside our door, and it began, to, it began to get compounded over years, and it's carried into America, and I've had to pray about it because I stopped believing I would come home and my kids would get sick, not just with like flu or colds or the regular stuff. I'd come home and my wife said, you know what, Joseph has Jardia. Or I'd come home and my wife would say, you know what, we figured out why Georgia is jaundice and yellow. She has hepatitis A, yeah? And so I started losing trust. Losing trust that God had my kids. And if I'm honest, I can say, that I started not believing in this area of my life. Fear is such strong language in this text. One conclusion that we can draw from the warning of this passage in Hebrews is that unbelief is such a constant and dangerous temptation that we must help each other fight it off. Persevering in the faith to the end has to be a community project. Small groups at YZ will have a tremendous seriousness about them if we take this text at its word. We meet and form relationships of mutual accountability, love each other. Why? Because our faith depends on it. Hebrews 4, 2. We can see this confirmed. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us just as they also. He's talking about Israel. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by their faith, those that heard. Our faith is what is so important. Our believing, our trust, entering into the rest. And we have to ask ourselves just honestly, is there anything that we do not trust God with? And more, Are we as a North American church going down the same road as Israel in unbelief? Are we as a North American church rebelling? Do we believe and trust God? We see that rest is not passive. In verse 11, it says we must be diligent to enter it. God wants us to give all of ourselves. Here's what I think sometimes we miss in our culture, in our society. We don't get about rest sometimes. Because sometimes I think that we abbreviate rest and trust in Jesus as if somehow relying on him is just getting us to heaven after we die. What the Bible means, what Hebrew means when it talks about trusting Jesus is that we really believe he was right about stuff and we follow him in this life. That means to trust Jesus. So as we close, let's put it in perspective. Let's look at how we take this information, so it's not just information, but it becomes transformation. It becomes a heart thing. 
There seems to be two parts of God's Sabbath, his rest from this passage. The first, the principle of Sabbath is an all-encompassing picture of God's self-efficiency, unwavering desire, and his commitment to you to provide. God's got you. That's his part. There's our part as well. We see that our rest in God is not a passive endeavor. It's a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. This passage clearly states that as we're moving in God's rest, we are actively playing out the gospel. We can stop and trust the one who justifies the ungodly, you and me. We can trust that Jesus died in our place on the cross. He died to destroy all the anxieties of our less thans, to still our ceaseless striving, quiet the stirrings of our self-justifying labor, to eternally connect us to his boundless grace, which was won through his work. And we possess because of his work, not our work. We trust God with all that. That's just who we are. Paul gets this better than I think any of us because he writes from a place of rest, Sabbath rest, from Philippians. When he is under house arrest, he says this in 127, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Kierkegaard, Danish theologian, is right when he said, life has to be lived forward but it can only be understood backward. Many of us have been walking in the faith, and sometimes it doesn't always feel like God has got us. Sometimes it seems like God is silent, and we're beginning to wonder. There are some parts in our lives that we're like, God, do you really have this? But if you travel far enough and you look back, faith and God's faithfulness is 2020 in hindsight. Paul lived in the rest of Jesus because he knew that God works in mysterious ways. He performs wonders. He plants his footsteps on the seas and rides every storm. You cannot demystify the mystery of God. You have to trust him and know that he has you in his hand. People who live in God's rest live on the edge. In Gethsemane, three prayers prepared Jesus for what he was about to do. What was about to happen? Each time he prayed, If it is possible, Father, let this cup pass. Pass from me. But the third time he prayed, Not my will, but thine be done. It takes prayer to get to the point of let this cup pass to not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was then arrested outside of Gethsemane and marched to the cross. And on the cross, it takes three hours from him to go to the prayer, My God, why? to Father into thy hands. I don't want to miss that. I want to pray with all my heart, Father, into your hands, and then know with every fiber of my being, no matter what is ahead, he's got me. We must fear unbelief. And what that produces is trust. And what trust produces is hope. That's why Paul calls Christ our blessed hope. Things are going to look bleak, but we have hope in the gospel. Christ is coming back righting every wrong, wiping every tear. Do we trust the gospel? The grave was conquered. Death has no sting because we have this hope. 
Here's the most important part of this message. The answer to how do I live? What happens tomorrow, Monday? What now? Now what? The answer is practice. Jesus was able to do the significant deeds in public with all the pressure around him because in his private life, he practiced spiritual discipline of solitude and rest. Rest is a spiritual discipline. Rest is a way of life. Rest is a state of being. What is your approach to spiritual health? What's your strategy for maintaining and restoring all that stability when everything is swirling around you? At the beginning of his ministry, in Mark 1, 12, and 13, Jesus goes into the wilderness driven by the Holy Spirit 40 days. In Mark 1, 34 and 35, as he's launching his ministry, it says this, very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray. We see this all through his life. When he's choosing the disciples, when he's feeding the 5,000, when he hears about John the Baptist's death, Jesus is going off by himself to rest in God. There's an invitation for you this morning. God's inviting you this morning, today, to enter his better than rest. And all you have to do is say yes. Amen. God, I haven't been trusting you with this area of my life. God, I haven't given you my money. God, I haven't given you my time. And I say this morning, God, me, George. I haven't given you my kids. I've been striving and struggling on my own, living with the less than. But now I fear unbelief. I trust you with my kids. They are yours. You are good. Ask God, what does better than rest mean? What does it look like for me? For me, I've been living in some areas of my life with less than. I've been living with an up-until-now mentality. But no more, Jesus. I'm going to live with your, from now on, reality. I've been living with some less than negatives in my life, some sticky, ugly situations, but I'm moving from that less than rest to the better than rest of Sabbath. I've been living with the less than darkness, but I'm moving to the place where there is no more darkness because, Jesus, I know you are the light of the city. I've been living with the reality of death, the less than, but I'm moving to a place where there's no more death because you are the resurrection and the better life. I've been living with the less than in pain, but I'm going to the place of rest where there's no more pain, for the leaves of the tree of life are good for the healing of the nations. I've been living with the less than in my tears. But Jesus, in your Sabbath rest, all my tears are wiped away. And Jesus, I do it this day. You say Sabbath rest is available today. I claim that promise for me, for my kids, for my family, and for Wyzetta. Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, King, this moment we enter into your presence, we come to worship and we bow. We come to bless your name and hail the power of your name, Jesus. Let the angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown you, Jesus, Lord of all. We're going to end with worship this morning and let this be a time of prayer and praise for you. Here are Jesus' words from us from John 14, 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Another translation, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. The Sabbath was made for you and me. We were not made for the Sabbath. Let us enter together God's Sabbath rest. Let us pray.
Father, we come before you and we ask, God, what do you want to say to us today? God, this day, we as your people publicly, decisively, dramatically opt to align our hearts with yours. We align with you, the God of rest. We believe. We trust. Amen.